Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. I noticed that there's still some people coming in. Are we okay, Cody? We're okay? I was going to make y'all do the scooch. We've never done the scooch in this room. <laughs> it's like everybody chose the 945 today. Happy Easter. You know, I've been talking uh, on Wednesday nights with our parents in our parenting class. And one of the things that seems to be emerging is there's a lot of fearfulness among parents. Um, There's a lot of fear in the world, and that fear is translated into parents. I don't know if they're hearing more um, or they're more aware of things that are going on or if uh, things have just gotten that much worse. But there are parents who are worried about letting their kids play in the front yard. And I think about that in light of my personal experience as a kid growing up. You know, parents today are terrified somebody's going to take their kids. My parents did not share that worry. They didn't seem to care. In fact, they would have been maybe somewhat relieved if somebody come along and taken one of us. I don't know. But they were like, get out of here. I don't want to see you again. Come home when the lights come on. And uh, we were gone all day. And there wasn't a whole lot of concern about our personal safety like there is today. Uh, man, uh, there's all kinds of safety protocols you got to go through with kids today, you know. I mean, just for a kid to ride a bicycle, he's got to put a helmet on, he's got to put knee pads on, got to put elbow pads on, all of that. We didn't have any of that stuff. In fact, they gave us bicycles called spider bikes, and they had a banana seat and high-rise handlebars, and those things, if you got back on the back of that seat, they'd just flip right over and hit you on the back of the head, and nobody seemed to really care. And then they came out with this thing, y'all, this is a real deal, a three-speed shifter knob that they put right between your legs on the bar of the the deal. If your feet slip off or if you have a wreck, you're going to impale yourself. And that was just a risk they were going to take because it was so cool to have a shifter knob. But in fact, I came here's an ad. Um, This is an ad straight out of that time. And look at that knob. They're just saying, we just want to kill somebody. We want to impale you on that knob. And in that particular ad out of Sears uh, magazine, I had that spider bike. I didn't get the big $80 one. I got the green one down in the corner. It only had three speeds. But I had that shifter knob. And, uh, you know, to make, if that's not dangerous enough, look at the red one in the middle on the bottom. They put a steering wheel on a bicycle. (laughs) You know, Sears didn't care if they killed you. Um, That's the world we lived in. You know, now if you put a bunch of kids in a car, you got to strap them into car seats that look like some cockpit of some F-18. You know, it takes about 15 minutes to get them all strapped in. Uh, In my day, when it was time to go somewhere, they just said, get in a car. And that's what we did. We didn't have airbags or seat belts or car seats or any of that stuff. We'd, Dad loaded the whole family up in the Plymouth Fury 3, and uh, off we'd go. You know, and the premier seat in that car was the, was the armrest between Mom and Dad on the front seat. We fought over that. No, no seat belt. We're just going to sit on that. And the speed limits all over America were 70 miles an hour, and Dad never went less than 85. So we're hurling down the highway in this death trap. Uh, and dad's smoking Marlboros with the windows rolled up. (laughs) So you're getting asphyxiated too. That was my world. 
And here's the interesting thing about that. As I was thinking about that and, and the differences between now and then, here's the strange thing. I never remember being afraid. In fact, the only time I felt afraid was at school they would have a nuclear drill and they would ring the bell like three or four times and tell all the kids to get under their desk in case the Russians bombed the world. It's like, what? I remember as a second grader going, how is this going to help? You know, I'm under, a, I'm under a desk. There's a thermonuclear bomb headed my way. I guess the desk is going to save me. Um, that's the only time I was afraid. My parents were never afraid. They didn't seem to be afraid of anything related to us. And, and what, I, what I realized was, here, here's the thing. We're safer now than ever, and yet people are more fearful than they've ever been. People today are very fearful. And some people live with this constant nagging sense of dread. And I've got to tell you, I don't think that's what God had in mind. I don't think that God wanted us to live with fear. In fact, I would say this, Easter is the definitive answer to your fear. Because at Easter, fear was finished. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And let's start with this. What are we afraid of? That's not easy because there are all different kinds of fear and those fears show up in different ways. I, I can think of at least three different kinds of fear, but people who study these things could probably tell you there are more than that. The first is what I would call phobic fear. Those are the irrational fears that we seem to be born with. You know, you just can't seem to get over them, like fear of heights or fear of closed spaces or fear of spiders or fear of germs, fear of crowds. What I've noticed about phobic fears is your phobic fear is funny to me, but my phobic fear is not funny. I know a lady whose phobic fear is having people crawl toward her. That's funny. I mean, immediately you want to flop down on the ground and start crawling toward her just to see what happens. But that's her fear. My wife has a, a phobia of stink bugs, which to me is kind of funny because a stink bug never bit or stung anybody. They just stink, but she hates them and she doesn't want them anywhere near her. Um, I have a fear of heights and people always think it's funny when I have my fear of heights because what they'll do is if I get in a high place, they'll start going, ooh, look at that, look at that. And then they'll want to touch me. And I'm like, I don't want to look at anything and stop touching me. Because my phobia is my phobia and it's not funny to me. It may be funny to you. But here's what we do with phobias. We live with them. I mean, we're probably not going to overcome them. I've got the fear of heights. I've been to every high place you can imagine. I've been to the top of the Eiffel Tower, the top of the Empire State Building, the Grand Canyon, the whatever canyon, the this and that. And I've been everywhere, and I am no better today than I've ever been. You know, they say, face your fear and it'll go away. That's not true of phobias. So what do you do? Well, you just live with them, and you manage them, and you know the triggers that go off, and you just push through, and you say, I'm not going to let fear define me, and I'm, I'm going to go to those places, and I'm just going to hate it. I've been to every high place in the world, and I've never enjoyed a minute of any of it. That's just what you do. There's a different kind of fear I would call circumstantial fear, and these are the fears related to immediate or impending danger. It's a reaction to danger. It's that bump in the night that creates that fear. It's that crazy road rage guy on the side of the road, or it's that, it's that, that intense confrontational moment where your body begins to react to that in fear, and, and that's really healthy, and it's designed by God because it's telling you something bad's about to happen, and you need to either prepare to fight or you need to get away from the situation. And so that's what your body's telling you. But there's a third kind of fear, and this is kind of I want to talk about. This is the fear, this, this, this overall sense of dread that so many people are struggling with today. And, 
I wanted to learn more about it, so I kind of got online and I, I did some searches of what are people afraid of. And, and what was interesting to me was how all of the lists are so similar. They're all very similar. Uh, 65 people from 18 countries were asked what they fear. Uh, my greatest fear is that I will die alone and of Bengalura, India. Um, I fear being negatively scrutinized by others. That's Charlie from the Philippines. My biggest fear is being left out, abandoned, or ignored. That's Sarah from the U.S. Um, I fear not being good enough. That's Tanja from Zurich. And so they come up with these lists, and the lists all form around these basic issues. Change, loneliness. There's a lot of fear of loneliness right now. And it may be pandemic-related. A fear of failure, a fear of rejection, a fear of uncertainty, a fear of getting hurt. Here's a big, big one for the millennial and the Gen Z crowd. I have a fear of inadequacy, which is ironic to me because there's never been a crowd that was more told to, to value themselves and, and their own self-work, and yet they live with this nagging sense of inadequacy that I don't have what it takes to make it through life, a fear of a loss of freedom. I was surprised as I read those lists how few of them included the fear of death, when in fact everything you read says the ultimate fear of everyone is a fear of death. Martin Heidegger said that death is like the elevator music that plays in the background of our lives. And there are times where we can blot it out to the point where we're not even aware of it anymore. But there are other times when it rises to such a crescendo that you cannot help but deal with it. Um, Dostoevsky said, the certainty of inescapable death and the uncertainty of what is to follow are the most dreadful anguish in the world. And here's what I learned about fear. We all fear something. And so I, I, I said, okay, well, that's, that's, that's this side of it. What's the Bible say? And so I pull out the Bible and I begin to look at it. And so I do a word search of words and phrases like, do not fear, do not be afraid, fear not. You know, those phrases occur 116 times in the Bible. For example, Matthew 10, 31. So do not fear, They're more you are more valuable than the sparrows. Matthew 14, 27, do not be afraid. Matthew 17, 7, get up and do not be afraid. Matthew 28, 5, and the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. And by the way, this was at Easter when the women approached the tomb. They come to the tomb and the angel says, the first thing he says to them, don't be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus. Matthew 28, 10, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Mark 6, 50, he says, don't be afraid. Um, Luke 1.13, don't be afraid. Uh, Luke 1.30, uh, the angel said, do not be afraid. Luke 2.10, the angel said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Stop being fearful. All of those repeated time and time and time again. And so here's the question. If God is very clear that we are not to live in fear, then why are we still so afraid? Um, here's what I want you to hear today. Easter finished fear. Easter finished fear. Here's the story of Easter in a sentence. Jesus died on the cross for sin, to atone for sin. And three days later, he walked out of an empty tomb to break the power of death. Let's unpack that for a minute. Jesus died on the cross to atone for sin. 
First of all, we all sin. I feel like I have to say that today because there's been this war on sin. Years ago, Menninger wrote this book, Whatever Became of Sin. He had no idea what was coming because the world today says that sin is a construct created by the church to produce guilt so that people will go to church to have their guilt alleviated. That's the whole idea behind the world's understanding. There's no such thing as sin. Right and wrong is simply what you choose it to be. It's not an either or, it's a multiple choice. And we live in a multiple choice society. And then we get a guy like Putin who fires missiles into maternity hospitals, who kills a bunch of children on the, at the train station waiting on a train to evacuate to get out of the danger zone. And we look at the, at the, at what's going on in Ukraine, and you begin to hear words like evil. That guy's just evil. And Putin and his ilk are described as evil criminals who are hurting people indiscriminately. And I want to back up and say, wait a minute. You got to make a choice here. Is he evil? If he's evil, then what about sin? Why is he evil? What's causing you to think in terms of evil? Because the thing about it is that we've got to come to terms with is that if if you want to understand things in terms of concepts of good and evil, then you have to also embrace the concept of sin and righteousness. You can't have one without the other. And and the truth is we all know that there's something desperately wrong. We all know that that, uh, sin is in us. And it's not just in Putin, it's in me. Um, It's in every one of us. Uh, I love that line from Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago. He said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. This morning I passed a lady in the hall and she said, happy Easter. And she said, I just love you. You're such a good guy. And I thought, you don't know me. (laughs) Really, there's none righteous. I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. Because we all have that in us. That's what the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, There's none righteous, not even one. Sin's a real thing, and we all do it. And there are consequences to sin. Sin brings death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The paycheck for sin is death. The result of me performing sin is death. And that death comes through in a couple of ways. First of all, part of that death is separation. When I sin, my sin separates me from a holy, loving Father. Uh, That's exactly what Isaiah said in 59 verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And so I become cut off from God in alienation because of my sin. And that alienation creates, you ready? Longing and fear. It's intrinsic. It's intuitive. We long for a spiritual father that we've lost. Uh, uh, Augustine says that my soul will find no rest until it rests in thee. David said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts for thee, O God. And so there's something within us that God created in us that longs for the father. And yet my sin has created that separation. And that separation creates a death in the relationship. 
But it's not just a relational death, it's also a spiritual death. Your spirit dies. And and notice that you don't wait to die, you're already dead. The moment we sin, we die. Ephesians 2 verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He doesn't say, you're going to be dead. He said, you were dead. Past tense. You say, how does that work? Because I still feel so alive. And physically I am alive, but spiritually I'm dead because the moment I sin, I come under judgment. And the moment I come under judgment, I'm as good as dead. I was trying to figure out how to explain this. And when I was a boy, my dad played a lot of tennis. Dad was a high school tennis coach and then he was a college tennis coach before he was a professor. And so uh, every Saturday, dad would go down to the city courts and play tennis with his friends. And mom would say, you take the kids with you and get them out of my house. So we'd go with dad. And there was a park right next door to the tennis courts. Now, one of the crazy features of tennis is the crowd's got to be super quiet. Have you ever noticed that? It's like tennis and golf. Everybody don't say anything. It's not like basketball or football or soccer where everybody, they want the crowd to go wild. But in tennis, you got to be quiet so they can concentrate. So my brothers and I are over on the playground raising all kinds of sand and throwing rocks at each other and tearing each other up and screaming and crying and doing all that. And we're breaking dad's concentration. And man, that made him mad. It seemed like he got particularly mad when he was losing. So we'd break his gun and he'd yell at us, you guys quit that. And then finally when he'd had enough, he said, okay, as soon as we get home, I'm whipping every one of you. And in that moment, we died because we were under judgment. And I remember getting in the back of the Plymouth Fury 3 and riding home from the tennis courts, and it took forever to get home because you knew execution was in your future. The minute you're judged, you're a dead man walking. That's how sin is, only way worse. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and that's how we were. But here's the good news. God loves you and desires a relationship with you. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be His own people. The craziest thing is no matter how far you fall, no matter how messed up you've gotten, no matter how far you run, God's going to run after you. God never stopped loving you. One guy calls Him the hound of heaven and He will hound you. And the proof of His love was the cross. You see, Christ went to the cross and paid the price for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, He was sinless, to become sin. He took the full punishment of sin upon Himself so that in Him we would become the righteousness of Christ. And when I accept that by faith, I come alive. Listen to Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. It's this beautiful thing. The moment I embrace faith in Christ and what He did on the cross, I come alive. My sins are forgotten. My sins are forgiven. My past is forgotten. My present is filled with purpose and meaning, and my eternal destiny in heaven is secured. I don't have to worry and wonder about that the rest of my life, and I don't have to live in fear. Not only can I live confident in His love and my relationship, but there's a natural consequence to that. You know what it is? 
Here it is. You ready? I don't have to fear. You see, at the cross, Jesus finished the work of salvation. One of the last things Jesus said when he was on the cross, we don't know if it's the last thing or the second to last thing. He said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I don't know if he said, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. Or if he said, it is finished first. I don't know that. It doesn't matter. But what he said was, it's finished. And you know what he meant by that? He meant the work of atonement is finished. That means everything that was necessary to purchase your forgiveness is done. It's finished. And you can't add to that in any one One tiny speck of a work on your part does not add to the atoning grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus said, I'm done. It's finished. And you can't add to that by work. Salvation was achieved through the sacrifice of Christ. You simply have to receive it by faith. And in that moment, what I do is I say, God, by faith, I receive your gift of grace, which is his unmerited favor. And in that moment, I come alive. It was finished. And then God seals that moment of salvation by filling us with His Spirit. And Spirit actually seals the work of salvation, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 1.13, Having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And all of this means that you can be certain that you're forgiven, that you belong to God, and that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. But listen, now there's a beautiful side to this, sort of an unintended or sort of an intended consequence. The cross not only finished the work of atonement, now ready, listen, but it also finished fear. Those same nails they drove into Jesus' hands and feet were driven like a dagger into the heart of fear. And here's why, because love conquers fear. You know, that's such a Liberating idea. Uh, John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And when you really know that you're loved, what do you have to fear? Think about the implications of that. There's no fear in love. See, I always thought courage is what casts out fear. Courage doesn't cast out fear. Courage is moving forward despite the fear. The thing that casts out fear is love. And when I know that I'm loved and that I'm fully loved and that someone greater than me loves me, then I'm free to risk and I'm free to adventure because I know that he's got me. It's almost like a dad, you know, uh, who's standing on the floor and he's got a two-year-old on the couch and he's going, jump, jump. That little two-year-old's scared because he's fallen before, but he trusts his daddy and so he jumps and daddy catches him. And he's liberated in that moment. But there's another side of that, and that means that no matter what I go through and no matter how far I fall, he's going to come for me. I've told you all this story before, but it it had such a mark on me. Um, When my oldest son, John William, we called him Bill or Billy. When John William was about two years old, he loved to swim. The problem is he swam like a rock, but he had complete confidence in his swimming abilities. He had no basis for that confidence, but he had complete confidence. And so I had a friend in the church who had a swimming pool in her backyard, Miss Betty. Harold and Betty were like mentors to me, like second parents. And Miss Betty said, why don't you bring Billy over and let him swim in the pool? I said, I'll do that. So I went over and uh, I'm in the shallow area of the pool talking to to John William, to Billy, I mean to to Miss Betty. 
and I, I'm not paying attention to Billy, and he walks over to the diving board at the deep end, and he jumps in the pool. We hear the splash. I look over. He's disappeared. So I race up the steps. I race around to the deep end. I dive in. I get to the bottom. He's at the very bottom. I pick him up. I get him out, and he goes, ah! He was holding his breath, and he was having a ball. I mean, I'm like, my tooth found, and I'm like, and I looked at Miss Betty, and I said, what is he thinking? And she said, he's thinking you'll come for him. She said, he knows you'll come get him. And I thought, that's the love of a father. You know, that little boy is 35 now. And I hope he knows, no matter how far he goes and no matter how deep he falls, I'm going to come for him. My father loves me like that. That's how he loves you. That's why love casts out fear. And when we're aware of that and we understand that love, then we can live fearlessly. And I'm no longer afraid of being unloved, Romans 5.8. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, some of you think I'm not loved, that... God doesn't love me. Read Romans 5.8. I'm no longer afraid of being abandoned. Hebrews 13.5. He himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I no longer have to fear being alone. God put his spirit in me. If God's spirit is in me, then wherever I am, he is. And I'm never alone. I'm still going to go through stuff. I'm still going to get hurt. I'm still going to fail. I'm still going to sin. But everything I go through, I don't go through alone. See, that's the great fear of our time is people feel so isolated and cut off. And maybe you're that way right now. Man, I really see it acutely in this generation from about oh, 2021 down to about 35. And, you know, they're having a hard time finding a life partner. And, you know, it's so hard because everything's about texting and social media and nobody knows how to read faces anymore because they haven't had a real conversation with anybody and they don't know how to get together and they don't know how to build relationships and all that stuff. And they, they feel isolated and cut off and they feel like the whole their whole life they're going to be alone. Look, here it is. You're never alone. First of all, I belong to Jesus, 1 Corinthians 3.23, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Secondly, I belong to the family of God, and this was powerful for me. You are citizens along with God's holy people, Ephesians 2.19. You are members of God's family. I grew up in a broken home. My parents split up when I was a senior in high school, but they really split up a long time before that. It just took about five years for it to be finished. And the crazy thing is, I'll talk to my brother Ben about it, and I'll say, you know, we were in a dysfunctional family, and we didn't even know it. And Ben's like, no, because when you grow up in a dysfunctional family, you don't know it's dysfunctional, because it's like asking a fish what the water's like. You don't, you don't know. That's just what you're used to. I remember when I started dating a Christian girl in high school, I went over to her house, and her dad was at the house at five, and I said, what's your dad doing here? She's like, he's here every night. I'm like, my dad was never home at night. I don't know where he went, but he wasn't home. Um, and when I got saved, man, the church became my family. And that became so powerful to me. I mean, I've invested my life in it, not only in, in gratitude for Christ, but in gratitude for the family. 
that I belong. Look, you may feel like you don't belong anywhere. You belong here. You have family. I'm no longer afraid of inadequacy. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I'm no longer afraid of judgment. I tell you the truth, John 5, 24. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. You don't have to worry and wonder about it. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. You know what that means? I don't have to worry about death. I don't have to fear it. In, in fact, Paul looked forward to it. Listen to these crazy lines. Philippians 1, 21. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying's even better. Man, this is a fearful time. And your heart may be filled with fear and anxiety. You know, some people live their whole lives in fear. My brother was that way. My brother Bob died a couple of years ago at the age of 62 from liver disease that was the result of struggling with alcohol addiction his whole life. My brother Bob was one of the greatest guys you would have ever met. Everybody loved Bob. His, his funeral was packed with people who loved him and had Bob stories everywhere. Everybody loved Bob. And Bob was a fearsome person. And he was courageous. Bob was an all-district linebacker in a district that included Plano High and Highland Park in Texas. That's brutal in 5A football. And he was all district his sophomore year. He was powerful. He was ferocious. And he was courageous. I've told you all this story before. This actually happened. When, when I was about maybe seven or eight years old, there was a real strong rain down at the end of our street. And they were putting a new street in in our neighborhood. And it flooded. There was a water standing probably for me as a little kid. It was probably about this deep. And we're standing and we're playing in it. And the whole neighborhood kids are all playing in this water at the end of this street. Bob would have been nine or ten. And uh, we don't know it, but there's an open culvert. And you can't see it because the water on top was placid. But, but there was a culvert there and it was draining water. And our dog was standing in the yard right by where that culvert was. And we couldn't see it. And we said, Smokey, Smokey, jump in. Jump in, Smokey. And when Smokey jumped in... He disappeared. He went in that drainage, that pipe. The pipe turned out later was about this tall, and they didn't hadn't put the curve and gutter in, but the pipe was about that tall. And the minute that dog disappeared under that water, my brother Bob jumped in after him. I remember as a little boy just kind of being paralyzed. I was just like, what just happened? And everybody's screaming, Bob, Bob, Smokey, Smokey. We don't know what happened. So my brother Ben tears off for home, which is about four blocks away, and it took a long time to find mom and dad. And we didn't know it, but Bob, in the darkness of that pipe full of water, found that dog, got the dog's head above the water, and he went on the pipe from the, where the pipe went in, it went underneath the city block, and it came out about where that apartment building is over there. Can you imagine a nine-year-old boy going through that? And it emptied into a creek out there. Nobody else would have done that but Bob. He was just that way. He would react immediately. He saved people's lives. 
But you know what he told me one time? He said, Billy, you know, I've been afraid my whole life. I'm like, no way. Not Bob. Not my big brother. He was fearless. I'm telling you, if anybody messed with me, Bob would break them. He was very powerful. And I'm like, not Bob. He said, I'm telling you, Billy, I've been afraid my whole life. And I really believe that his alcohol addiction was an effort to medicate his fear. And we lost him. And you know, I realized that uh, if, if somebody like my brother lives with that kind of fear, then there's a lot of people who do. And you've lived with fear your whole life. Fill in the blank. I'm afraid of being inadequate. I'm afraid of loneliness. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. And you've you've been afraid your whole life. I've got some good news for you. Because of Easter and because of Jesus and because of the resurrection, you don't have to be afraid for another minute. You don't have to be afraid. Perfect love drives out fear. And Jesus' love for you was perfect. Perfect. So what are you afraid of? Do you know Jesus? Do you know what it is to be forgiven and to be made alive? Maybe you're filled with fear because your sin has broken the relationship with the Father and you feel alienated. And in that alienation, you realize something's desperately wrong. Get it right today. All you've got to do is place your faith in Christ and trust Him for salvation. Say, God, I don't know all the right words to say, but here I am. You got me. Forgive my sins. Fill my life with purpose. Help me to come alive. Would you do that? What a great day. Easter Sunday to do that. You can do that right now, right where you are. You don't need anybody. You just pray that prayer. God, I'm before you right now in total, complete honesty and transparency. Change my life today forever. But some of you know Jesus and you've allowed that nagging fear to sort of trouble you throughout your life. Why don't you this morning say on Easter Sunday, I'm going to put those, that fear right where it belongs, right at the feet of Jesus on the cross. And God, here's my fear. Take my fear and help me to feel secure because of your love. Would you do that? Let's just make a commitment to the Father right now. If you don't know Jesus right now, let's pray. Every head bowed, and let's pray before the Lord. Father, I need you. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of feeling all this. And so God, restore my life. Make me come alive. Give you my life right now. If you don't know Jesus, pray that prayer. Maybe if you're wrestling with fear, Father, we need to say to you, take our fear. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for Easter and the finished work of atonement. Thank you that we can know forgiveness. Thank you that we can know purpose. Thank you that we can be assured of salvation. We don't even have to fear death. Thank you so much for that. Father, I pray for those that need Jesus right now that have the courage just to give that over to you. Say, God, take my life. 
make me alive, restore the broken relationship, bring my spirit back to life. And Father, I pray for my Christian brothers who struggle that today would be the end of their fear. Liberate them. Help them to base their sense of worth and value on what your word says, not on what their heart says, not on what this world says. And we thank you for the victory that comes through Jesus Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.